Well, we are blessed today. May is Missions Month, and I am very particular about who I bring in. Not putting any pressure on you here, Robert, but um, I want the real deal. You guys kind of know something about me. Over the last couple of years you got to know me, I really am about authenticity and honesty and integrity. It's, that's everything that matters to me. And uh, so when I look at missionaries, I'm not saying, not criticizing any, but I'm saying there's ones that I look at and I say, these folks are the real deal. They're working hard for the kingdom of God. They're operating their giftedness, and they're changing the world. And Robert is one of those guys. Um, he's in uh, the headquartered of the, the nation of Georgia, which is in Eurasia. Some of you, that's not Georgia as in the U.S. Um, cross over the Atlantic to get there, or the Pacific, go that way. But, um, and he travels from there, right? You travel, I think, extensively and teach and preach, and has just been a, a rock in the missions field. And uh, just is, does a great job um, really affecting the development of the kingdom of God in that whole part of the nation through teaching. And so we're going to welcome him this morning. Come and share with us what God's put on your heart. Challenge us this morning. You got it, pal. Thanks. Thanks, man. Thank you. Ah, it's great to be here with you. Your mission's emphasis. I'm so glad. Roger, I like Roger. He's cool. That man, you got some good people here. Thanks, worship team for what you did. And don't you appreciate the pastor's wife? They never change. They always look the same to me. You guys too. And we do go way back, but uh, it is my honor and my privilege, thanks pastor, for letting me come here to challenge you, to give you a good report. And I want everybody here to know, no matter where you're from, you may be from a different church background. I can tell when people are from a different church. They're always a little bit uncomfortable being in a new place. You don't know what they do. You don't know the songs and things like that. But I'm here to tell you that God is here to bless you. He's here to minister to you. He's here to encourage you and to heal you and to touch you and to speak to you. Do you believe that? And we're here because he's expecting something from us too, right? He wants our love. He wants our obedience. He wants our worship. And we are more than glad to give it to him. So I'm here as one of your own. I am... I grew up uh, north of here. My mom was from Kenosha. My dad was from Ironwood, Michigan. Anybody know where that is? I prayed for snow today, and it didn't happen. (laughs) It snowed in Ironwood last night. They have 227 inches already this year. It's about that high in the ground. No, I really didn't pray because last month I was doing the weather prayers, and it kept snowing every Sunday, so I gave up the weather prayers, you know. I think they're too selfish, and so I just had to drive through the snow every Sunday. You know how it is. But I want to tell you that the Lord is moving all around the world today. How many of you knew that? More people are getting saved today than at any other time in the history of the church. More people are being martyred today than at any time in the history of the church. And this, now we know, we probably live in our lives, no matter how young or old you are, we can honestly say these are the most critical days that we've ever lived in, in our lives, in our families, in our country. America needs Jesus. The church in America, we need a revival. We need something great to happen. We need, we need God in a big way. And so we need to believe that God is going to do a great thing. We have to trust Him. We have to believe Him. But then we have to step out in faith. And so I want to encourage you today. I want to give you a report of what God is doing around the world. I want to challenge you and say that giving to the kingdom of God is the greatest investment that anybody could ever make. So I'm glad for what Roger shared. The beginning of that that giving and that investment begins with tithing, learning how to tithe. 
A lot of you may be new Christians or maybe you haven't really experienced God's blessing when you've been obedient and tithing. And I just want to encourage you. Yeah, it can be a difficult principle to grasp onto. It's not easy when you first start, but God is always faithful. So when we talk about the faith promise later on, we're talking about above and beyond that, what God encourages people to do, what he puts in your heart, what you believe him to do. So I want to know how many here, how many of you have ever outgiven God? You've given more to God and he hasn't given you back. Anybody here? No, nobody like that? So that's good. Now I'm in the country of Georgia. As Pastor said, it's not Atlanta, Georgia. I had a man, I went down south with a very interesting audience. I was in Oklahoma. And they weren't always well versed in the ways of the world. And the first guy came up to me, ran up on the pulpit and said to me, I don't appreciate y'all folks from Georgia. He says, you, you've been holding back the water to the Tallahatchie River. I'm from Alabama, you know. And I said, sir, I'm from Georgia about 5,000 miles away. So, so I'm not holding back the waters of the Tallahatchie River. So I just want you to know. But God, the Lord is using people all over the world today as never before. And what I've seen in my almost 20 years of missions work, the Lord tends to use those common, average, everyday people. The people that I call Johnny Lunchbucket and his wife. How many of you are Johnny Lunchbucket? How many of you are married to Johnny Lunchbucket? How many of you are just normal, average, everyday people? Okay, how many of you are not normal people? See, I'm not a normal person. You already know that because I grew up in Upper Michigan. What normal thing ever came out of the UP? You guys were born up there too. I, I did what we, we have these rallies called Light for the Lost rallies. How many of you know what Light for the Lost is? We have literature and we have different rallies in different places throughout Wisconsin and northern Michigan. I was at a rally in, of all places, Marquette, Michigan, when I came home. Uh, it was in October. And some, some of the people were angry at me. They said, we heard you said a terrible thing about us. We heard that you said that every person in the Upper Peninsula is a dysfunctional person. I said, that is not true. I did not say that. That started by someone who's trying to discredit me, trying, someone trying to embarrass me. When I really said that, at least 90% of the people in the UP are completely dysfunctional. <laughs> and they said, okay, we can handle that. That's okay. <laughs> I said, I'm part of that 90%. I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. How many of you? I grew up in a poor family. My dad worked in the mines. I didn't grow up, uh, I didn't grow up with a great Christian influence. I had a religious influence in my family. I'm not going to tell you what church I went to. That's not important. But the nuns and the priests in the church where I went to, uh, they didn't have much to work with when they had Bob McKay, you know. <laughs> I mean, I was obstinate. I was not very cooperative with them. When I graduated from high school, I think that's what they called it, or whenever I left high school, I think it was, they did give me a diploma. I had a 0.9 grade point average. Some of you know that's not, that's not good. How many of you know that's not good? I was the fourth worst student in the history of my school. And when I graduated, I remember the nuns and the priests, they said to me, they looked at me, they said, you know, they said, you're useless. You're worthless. You're never going to do anything with your life. You're going to be a failure. They were just trying to encourage me, you know. <laughs> Anybody in the church have that gift of encouragement? <laughs> I'd like to come next Sunday for the sermon so I could judge the preacher's hermeneutics. How she interprets the Bible, you know. But you know what happened? I went into the military. Guys started to witness to me. I came to the Lord, and the Lord completely changed my life. Is that true in your life? 
when Jesus came into your life, your life was complete, it was totally changed, completely changed. And so the Lord changed my thinking, my motivation, my mind, my, my desires, everything about it. When I, when I got saved, God literally gave me a photographic memory. And I started memorizing the New Testament, the books of the Bible. Isn't that amazing? And then when I left the military, I went off to Bible school, and I was the speaker of my class. I was the number one student in the university. I did four degrees after that. So I've got all these letters after my name, but I have to be honest with you, I'm educated far beyond my intelligence. And so uh, I'm just a normal guy from the UP, hey? What can I say? And God, God uses, he uses people of all walks of life. So I want to encourage you, no matter what church you come from, or even if you've never come from a church, the Lord has a great plan for your life. But the first step is to come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and let him change your life. Let him revolutionize your life. There's nothing like serving Jesus Christ, right? There's nothing like giving to the kingdom of God and seeing what God is doing. I think of this last year has been a tough year for me personally because I lost my mother. I was overseas last May, but just after Mother's Day last year, my mom passed away suddenly. And uh, my, brother, my brother-in-law called me and said, can you come home? Mom's going to go in a couple of days. I said, I can't make it home. I can't even make it to the funeral. But I'll, I'll call her. I just told her I loved her on the phone, and that was it. <clears throat> and that was uh, May 21st is when she passed away. But, you know, she had nothing. When they moved her stuff, she had three bags of clothes that they gave to Goodwill. That was it. But she was a billionaire when it came to spiritual things. She never thought of anyone except other people. Never thought of herself, only other people. And when I came home, I asked my sister, please explain to me how mom passed away. It was difficult for my sister. My sister's not a real religious person. She was the only one there. And uh, she said, Mom, I knew she was going to go, but she started to, I couldn't figure out. She said, maybe you can help me. She said she started having a conversation with somebody in the room. And I didn't know who she was talking to, but she looked up and she said, are you, are you coming for me? Are you coming to take me home? And then her heart started to stop and her breathing stopped and she was gone. She said, do you know who she was talking to? How many of you know who she was talking to? You know that guy? You know who she was talking to? Who was it? Yeah, it was Jesus. So here we are. We are here because of Jesus Christ. And he's, placed, he's done wonderful things for us. I mean, where would life be without Jesus? It's unimaginable, right? And so now we're talking about what the Lord would want us to do. Jesus had a very simple life when he was here on earth. His main goal was to do what? To obey the Father, to love the Father, to worship the Father, to glorify the Father, to do what the Father told him to do. That's a pretty simple life. Our life is the same. We are here to glorify Jesus Christ, to love him, to worship him, to serve him. And Jesus, as a natural outflow of his life, he loved people, and we love people, don't we? How many of you want to go to heaven without your mother, without your father, without your sons or your daughters, without your brothers or sisters? Anybody want to go to heaven without them? Because we live in a world that says it's all about me, mine, me. I'm going to heaven. That's the most important thing, isn't it? My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Yeah, I want other people to go too. Don't get me wrong. But the most important thing is how everything relates to me. But we live in a world that God has called us to be a witness and salt and light to. We have a family that needs to be saved. We have a neighborhood that needs Jesus. We have schools that need the Lord. We have a workplace where people need to see what a real Christian is all about. So all over the world today, God is moving. I, I copied something off our website called ag.org. You can look in there. 
For the last time I was home until I came back just uh, several months ago, I see that our little group, the Assemblies of God, which isn't the only true church in the world, right? Somebody asked me a few weeks ago in a church, can I go to heaven if I'm not Assemblies of God? And this lady was serious. I said, yes, ma'am, you can, but only with great difficulty. (laughs) Of course, I'm joking, because heaven's going to be a place full of people from many, many churches, amen? From many countries, peoples of all languages, tribes, nations, those are anybody the whole world there. We don't even know who's going to be there. The kids here, they gave to BGMC. Do you think there may be people in heaven because they gave to BGMC? Because they made stuff out of duct tape? And people are going to go to heaven because of that? When I was in Ukraine, we did a BGMC. We had a church in Wisconsin that took a, a similar offering to this one. And we had, a, we had a disaster when I was in Ukraine. Floods came and wiped out some villages in northern Ukraine, and the people had nothing. And so I didn't know what to do. I had no money. I called this church. It was here in Wisconsin. I said, do you have any money? You can, can you send us some money? These people have no clothes, no food. And they said, well, we have about 600 bucks in our BGMC fund. We'll send that to you right away. So some kids from the Bible school heard I had 600 bucks, five of them. They were all musicians. They said, Bob, you give us the 600 bucks, and we're going to put gas in the van. We're going to sleep in the van and eat bread and cheese. And we're going to go up in this region for three days, and we're going to distribute clothes and food, and we're going to pass out children's literature, and we're going to evangelize the kids. And that's what they did for four days. They came back and they said, Brother Bob, we prayed with over 900 kids to accept Christ. From those dimes and quarters and nickels and things and duct tape things. And So is that a good investment? You remember three weeks ago you had to do your taxes. How many remember that? How many of you still have to do your taxes? I remembered mine. I, I have a savings account at TCF Bank. I tried to go into TCF Bank off of Brown Deer Road in Milwaukee yesterday to change some Euro coins, and they said, we don't do that stuff. I said, but this is my bank. They said, we don't do that stuff. They, and I, I remember getting my 1099 interest form back from them. And you know what I got for interest for the year 2012? I got 74 cents. I had to file it with my tax guy. He said, it's a legal document. I thought there's a, there's a singer called 50 Cent, right? I said, I'm going to call myself, my name's 74 Cent. It's no longer Bob McKay. But then I look at the kingdom of God. When we give to the kingdom of God, and we think of the, the hundreds and thousands and millions of people that are going to be in heaven because somebody gave to missions, right? Because there was a BGMC offering, because somebody started a Bible school, because somebody did a women's Bible study, because somebody went out and did evangelism and planted a church somewhere. How many people will we meet in heaven because we've given, because we've gone, because we've uh, prayed for the lost? I remember you had a media team that went out to Lithuania many years ago. Anybody from that team? You remember that? Anybody still here? There was a media team that went there, and they did a great job. But what, who are we going to see in heaven? We don't even know. We know some of our relatives. How many of you have relatives up there waiting for you? And all the other people that will be there. Think about that. I had, when I left the country of Georgia to come back, I flew to Chicago. I flew from Georgia to Turkey to Chicago. And as I was leaving the airport... In Georgia, there were some pilgrims going to Mecca. And one of them was giving me the evil eye. He was kind of creeping me out, you know. But it was in the airport. They were all dressed in white. I knew they were pilgrims. And this man ran up to me, and he kissed me on the cheek. He grabbed me, and he kissed me. And I said, thank you very much. And I said, what's that for? And he said, "Uh, you're American, right? I said, how did you know? I was the only white guy in the airport, and I had glasses on. 
So he is pretty good. I said, yes. I said, are you, uh, I said, are you Kurdish? He said, yes, but I live in Europe now. He said, I, w- I wanted to kiss an American for at least two years now because I wanted to thank an American for saving my family from Saddam Hussein. And then he just walked away like this, you know. I said, I bet you that doesn't happen to you at the supermarket very often. <laughs> Anybody do that? But think about that from a spiritual point of view, how many people there will be in heaven. Think about what God is doing in our little group, the Assemblies of God, which has grown by 20 million since I was last set foot in America. 20 million worldwide. In Africa, the Assemblies of God is 16 million people, more than five times the size of what it is here in America. In Latin America, the Assemblies of God, 30 million people, 10 times the size of our church here in the United States. I read that there are 210,000 plus churches in Latin America, almost 20 times as many churches as we have. Or in Asia, China, you know, the Joshua Project says only 10,000 people a day are getting saved in China right now. That's it only. It used to be much more than that. There may be 150 million evangelical Christians in China. You know, in the Chinese church, they don't believe you're a Christian unless you're being persecuted for Jesus. Unless you suffer for Jesus, the chances are you're not even a Christian. What do you think about that? Do you think persecution is coming to America? The Russians and the Ukrainians and Georgians and Armenians are all prophesying, yes, there's going to be a tremendous revival come to America, but persecution is going to come first. We don't, we're not afraid of it. We're not happy about it. We're not sad about it. It's just what happens, happens. But if we're serving Jesus Christ, we don't have anything to worry about. There's nothing to worry about when you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Think about the greatest revivals in, in the world that have happened in the last 20 years. In China, 150 million Christians, a communist country. People still get, are persecuted for their faith. In Cuba, 90 miles from America, a country called Cuba, 20 years ago, there were 90 churches in the Assemblies of God. This is just using our statistics. There are many other churches, and I'm just one missionary. 90 churches, and today the report is is that there are over 8,300 churches, Assemblies of God churches in Cuba, from 90 to 8,300. That's worth at least one praise the Lord, isn't it? Eh? Eh? Okay. You know, the main complaint of the pastors in Cuba is that too many people are getting saved. <laughs> too many people are getting saved. We don't, we don't know what to do about it. The only thing they can do about it is have more services. The average Assemblies of God church in Cuba has five or six services on Sunday. That's if they don't have a Sunday night service, that is. I read about one of them that had 18 services on Sunday. Every 45 minutes they'd brought a bunch of people in there. I've been to services like this around the world. I've been in Bulgaria where they had this happen, six services on a Sunday morning. Fortunately, I've seen God move in the 20 years, or about 20 years I've been in the mission field. I've seen revivals in Russia, Ukraine, Romania, and Bulgaria. I've seen the incredible things. But what I see is how God uses simple people, how they make their sacrifice to Jesus Christ. These are people that believe God. These are people that are willing to suffer. These are people that are willing to do out, do without, and they are people who are going to give to their loved ones, give to their church, give to their neighbors, because they have another home. They realize they're not going to take a U-Haul trailer to heaven with them. They know that, because they have a better home waiting for them there. Amen? And that's what it says in the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bible, you all know Hebrews chapter 11, right? The faith chapter. And since I've been educated so much, I've realized something incredibly bright and brilliant, that before chapter 11 comes chapter 10. How many of you know that? And chapter 10 leads up to chapter 11. I'm just waxing eloquent right now, right? (laughs) 
But the writer of Hebrews is getting to a point. He's trying to encourage these people. See the, the, the audience, the Hebrews, the Hebrew Christians, they were probably a second, at least a second generation group of Christians. Their forefathers had seen the great things God had done. Just like for many of us, maybe our parents were, were, saw great things. But we live in a day and age in our churches now where a lot of people are not seeing great things that God is doing where people are selfish, and our culture is it's a me culture. It's all about me. We live in a consumer age. When I come to church, I'm a consumer. I pay the pastor to do the work of the ministry. I don't do that stuff. He's supposed to do that. I'm paying for a product. I want my product. But here we see all over the world, people are making sacrifices. They're giving. They're praying. They pray for their lost loved ones. They pray for their villages. They pray for their countries. And they believe God is going to change their country. Did you know that today in the countries of Russia, Ukraine, Moldova, and Georgia, and Armenia, and in Belarus, six countries, there are at least 70 churches that will pray for, the, for America, that will pray for the church in America. We have people praying for the Assemblies of God in America. Every day, they're praying for us. Can you imagine that? They're praying. We have a, a seminary. I have pictures out on the table out there. Our seminary in, in Kiev, Ukraine. It's a beautiful place. But in this building, we have a church called Philadelphia Church that meets there. They've been praying for the Assemblies of God in America every day for the last five years. And I asked them, why are you praying for the Assemblies of God? And they said, because God told us to. I said, okay, I can accept that. I said, what are you praying for? They said, we're not going to tell you. I said, you don't know me. I'm from Upper Michigan. You don't know that place. But you're going to tell me or I'm going to beat it out of every one of you. So... And they go, well, if you're going to be like that. And they said, well, we're not sure we're praying for the right thing you tell us. They said, we're praying that the Assemblies of God in America and the church as a whole in America will come back to their first love and do the things they did at first. Does that sound like a good thing to pray for? I said, and what else are you praying for? They said, we're praying that the full gospel churches will once again be holy people who regain their salt and their light and their influence in their community and their country. We're praying that once again that the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit will be evident and overflowing in the churches and that people will realize their authority in Christ and do what God has called them to do. They said, does that sound like a good thing to pray for? How many of you think they're praying for the right thing? See, America needs Jesus, but the church in America, we need a revival. We need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. We need the presence and power of God in our life. We need to be people of prayer, people of witness, people of sacrifice, people who endure. So in Hebrews, the writer is encouraging them, before he gets to all these examples of faith, and these people who are the faith people, they're normal people. They went through a lot of trials and hardships. They're not the people who had a silver spoon in their mouth. They all had a hard time. But he says in verse 32 of chapter 10, Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you stood your ground, or where you, where you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. How many of you know that you have better and lasting possessions than what you have right now? Amen. The Lord has something stored up for us that we can't even imagine. So why are we so concerned about what we have down here? I guess we need the Lord to change our hearts, right? I guess we need to have our focus changed a little bit. And then he says, so don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And then here's the key verse, verse 36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. 
We need to go forward. We need to go on. Yes, we live in a difficult age. Yes, people are worried. Their, their hearts are melting for, you know, for fear. What's Obamacare going to bring? What's going to happen with my retirement? You know, what's going to happen here? The state, I heard now, the state of Texas, people have to pay their own pension or something like that, or they have to kick in a large amount. What's going to happen weather-wise? What's going to happen in the, the Muslim world? What's going, and all these fears that people have. Well, we don't have to be afraid when we know Jesus Christ. As our brother Roger shared, when, we're on, when we honor God, God's going to honor us. Either God's going to take care of us or he's not going to take care of us. Which one is it going to be, right? How many of you believe God's going to take care of us? He's not going to, he, he's not going to send us somewhere so we can make a fool out of ourselves. He's not going to let us starve to death when we serve him. He's going to take care of us. Because he says, for in just a little while... He who is coming will come and will not delay. Jesus is coming back soon. Do you believe that? But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. So we need to be people who go forward. We're not looking for, we're not wanting to go back like the people in Hebrews. The writer keeps warning them, don't fall back, don't shrink back, don't turn back. He's using all this language. They want to go back to the religion, back to the old days. I've had religion up to here. How about you? I've had denominationalism up to here. The the Russians and the Ukrainians are prophesying this great revival that's coming to America is going to be a revival of repentance, of holiness, and that God is going to draw people out from all denominations. Because God doesn't care about denominations and geography. God cares about people. God cares about his kingdom, right? And so we want to be faithful servants and citizens of the kingdom of God, right? And so we need to go forward, not back. We need to believe. We need to pray now more than ever. How many of you pray with the same fervency you prayed with the first year you were saved? Anybody? Or more so? Praise the Lord. That's the way it should be, right? Well, you're directing the prayer stuff, right? (laughs) He better be praying more than us, right? Because we're going to pay him to pray for us, right? He doesn't have one of those little boxes, though, with the candle that we light, do we know? No, we should all be greater people of prayer more than, now more than ever. If you once prayed for your lost loved ones, but you haven't done it lately, you've kind of got discouraged or given up, get some of their pictures out and stick them on a the refrigerator. Put something by your bed. If you're not reading the Bible, start reading a chapter a day. Read a psalm a day. Start small. Do something. But let's go forward. Let's not go backward. These are today's, yeah, people are leaving the church for many, many reasons. There's a million reasons why people leave the church and some for no reason at all. But I'm not going to leave the church. How about you? I'm not going to walk away from Christ. I'm going to go forward in the kingdom of God. I hope everybody comes with me. But if nobody goes with me, I'm still going to go. And I don't, no matter how many follow, I'm going to go. Because this is what we need to do. We have a lost world. God's called us to reach it. I've had the honor of being, like I said, in these countries like like Russia. See, we're, people in America are crying because the political situation isn't going their way. I got so tired of watching the news when I came back. I only watched it for three weeks and I turned it off. Because as I hear, I turn on Fox and all oh, the Republicans did this and Republicans did that. And then I turn on CNN. Oh, the de- or the, I mean, the Democrats did this and then CNN, the Republicans did this. And I said, eh, I don't want to hear this stuff anymore. Because what good is it? How, how is it serving anybody? But I, and I'm thinking, here I saw a revival in Russia where Vladimir Putin is president. You know, he's not a born-again Christian, you know that? <laughs> Ukraine has become the most evangelical country in Europe. They have a mafia guy who's the president of the country. He did two terms in jail for being a mafia guy. Romania, Ceausescu, he tried to kill the gypsies and the orphans. 
And that's also one of the most evangelical countries in the world now. They went from 2% to 25% evangelical. And then in Bulgaria, I was there when they said they were going to exterminate the evangelical church. Now, how would you like to be in a country when they said that? They said, well, we'll kill them if we can, but we'll round everybody up. And you know what the church did? What do you think they did? Take one wild guess what they did. They prayed. (laughs) They prayed. They prayed, and within 24 hours, they sent a message to the government. Don't bother to come and get us. We're going to come to you. We're coming for you. Remember Rambo? I'm coming for you. (laughs) And they came to the city. They made a prayer chain around the city, and they started praying, interceding. They prayed for 48 hours. I would walk around and listen to these prayers. So, man, (laughs) you'd never forget those prayers if you heard what I heard. Here you have this family with their kids praying, oh, God, please watch over our children. You know, they're probably going to separate us and put us in different prisons. Please let our children remember how we loved you and be with them, Lord, and protect them and watch over them and help our relatives understand why we did this. If, if, or if, if we all die today and we're with you, Jesus, that's going to be a great time too. But uh, these are the kind of prayers they're praying. So the, the army came out with the tanks, and they, they got about 200 yards from where they came out of this underground passage. They stopped. Nobody knows why they stopped. They turned around. They went back. They parked the tanks. The generals and all the politicians came up to the podium, and they said, we quit. We're done. The government's finished. We resign. And then the next day, the Pentecostal Church of Bulgaria purchased the headquarters for the KGB, the Communist Party, the largest building in the country, and they turned it into a church and a printing press for Christian books. So, praise the Lord. So please don't cry to me if the guy you voted for didn't get in, okay? Because I'm not a real sympathetic ear when it comes to that. You know? I hope you can understand that. And it doesn't matter. Jesus and Paul, they lived in a day when the Roman Empire was around. And they didn't worry about that. Paul went and he preached the gospel. And that's what it says here. Let's go forward. And in, in our part of the world, we're training people. That's the first thing we did. When the former Soviet Union opened up, uh, all these countries, we said, what, how can we serve you? How can we help you? And then it was education. We started Bible schools. We started eight Bible schools across an area three times the size of the United States of America. We were going to start a seminary. I went to Ukraine, where there was one Bible school barely alive. We were going to start a, a seminary. And the Bible school, just everything took off. Now when I left 10 years later in 2008, in Ukraine they had 29 Bible schools all full, turning people away. We have three seminaries. When I came there, women could do no, nothing in ministry. Women were not permitted to speak in the church. Like when I said, you're going to preach next week? You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> because that would never happen. A woman sits on the other side of the church. She wears a dress with no makeup and jewelry, and she keeps her mouth shut. That's the ministry of a woman. When we started the seminary, the superintendent from one of the countries came to me and said, Bob, I don't want you bringing any women in this seminary because women have no place in the church except to sit and be quiet and pray quietly. He said, I don't even let a woman teach Sunday school in my church to little kids until she's had at least ten children. Isn't that beautiful theology? How do you like that? Good stuff? So, of course, you know I'm from the UP. What do you think I'm going to do when somebody tells me something like that? What do you think I'm going to do? I got out on the road. I started beating the bushes for all the best women I could find, you know. I, I had five exceptional women come from five different countries. I have pictures of some of them out there. These five women were so incredible. They changed the whole atmosphere. They changed the country. They changed the world where we were. Within a few months, I called them. I introduced them. I said, you know these five women by now. 
I said, I'm going to call them the five Joyce Myers of the former Soviet Union. <laughs> when I left in 2008 from Ukraine, these three of these five women are leading the three key schools we have in that part of the world. They're all the academic deans. They, they control the strings, you know what I mean? But they're incredible women of God, prayer warriors and holy people, great preachers. Do you feel good when you give to something like that? Do you think those kind of people are worth supporting? That this kind of thing... The first, the first student who came to me in the seminary was a man named Vladimir Franchuk. He now heads up what's basically what's the Convoy of Hope, if you're familiar with that, that the, where they bring humanitarian aid. He does this in, in Central Asia, what we call the five stands in a john. And uh, I have a picture of him out there. He's about five feet tall. And he goes and he witnesses in all these dangerous Muslim areas. He's been doing it for years. And I can't figure out why this guy is still alive. He should have been martyred many times over. And the only conclusion I can come to, I'm trying to think of this logically, the only conclusion I can think of is that since he's so short, the Muslims feel sorry for him and they think he was beheaded already. So they're not going <laughs> to... But I, but I don't know. But here, this is the first student. Here I'm a guy from America... And I'm coming to start a seminary. His is the first application. I said, tell me about yourself. Tell me about who you are. And he says, he came from a Pentecostal family. His father and grandparents were, uh, were uh, Pentecostal Christians. He said, to be a Christian is not only to confess the faith in the saving name of Christ. It means to carry the cross as Jesus carried it. <laughs> this is my first one I'm reading, and I'm going, I'm going to teach these kind of guys. I'm, I'm going to tell them how to serve Jesus. I'm going to teach them how to pray. <laughs> I'm going to teach him how to endure suffering. <laughs> Isn't that funny? No, I wasn't going to teach him that. And he says, my grandfather was condemned in Stalin times for 25 years. My father was sentenced for 15 years. And his first wife, even though they had just been married, she was sentenced for 10 years hard labor. She never came home. She died in prison in Siberia. My father and grandfather could only survive by a miracle and came home and their family was scattered and their property was confiscated. My second grandfather, as well as the first, was put in prison for 25 years. And my mother, who was just a simple village girl, was called an enemy of the people and received a 25-year sentence. He was born, but he was raised by other relatives his whole life. But this guy's one of the happiest people you'd ever meet. When he said, when I finished school, I was the best student in my class, and this guy's the most brilliant person I've ever met in my life. But he said, all the universities were close to me, I started work as an ordinary worker, a postman, a welder, a truck driver. And then I became a pastor and I was put in prison during the Gorbachev years. But now he's out of prison. He said when the Assemblies of God opened the school, he said, I have been praying every day for 17 years for this day to come. And now it's here. We have students who came from the Muslim world. who uh, All of them got saved through visions and dreams. Have you heard of that before? We have, we have about 200 graduates from 19 countries at the seminary in Ukraine. I'm in Georgia now. We started a seminary there, and we just graduated 22 Georgians and 15 Armenians. First time ever that there's ever been any kind, anything like this in these countries, ever in the history of their country. So do you feel good when things like that happen? Is that a good investment? Is that better than 74 cent from TCF Bank? Yeah. And so what happened then... We have these 17 students who went out all over the Muslim world. The last one I interviewed, they, they sent him to me, and all the Assembly God missionaries and all my friends said, we don't believe this guy is the real thing. We don't trust him. We want to hear what you have to say. And I met this guy, and I said, why don't you trust him? They said, he's a Baptist. That's why we don't trust him. And I said, eh, you guys, you know, that's what they do in the UP, the old Finlanders. Eh, they, you do that here, too, in Wisconsin, don't you? Eh, the old guys do that. So he came to me and I said, you're a Baptist, we're Pentecostals. I said, 
what do you want to come here for? He says, really, I'm a Baptocostal. <laughs> he said, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in India. And I said, well, how did you get saved? He says, I'm kind of ashamed. I'm kind of, a, you know, to tell you how it is. It wasn't the traditional way. And I said, you're the guy who speaks the 30 languages. He says, no. He, says, I, he said, I speak over 30 languages, but I only speak 11 languages fluently. I said, well, you better get on the stick pal and learn a couple more languages. And I said, tell me how you came to the Lord. He said, somebody gave me a piece of paper, a tract, whatever they call it. I read it about Jesus. But he said, but I was from a Muslim family. I memorized the Quran when I was eight years old. And he said, I read it. He said, but I, I went to sleep. I had a dream. In the middle of the night, I woke up, and here was a, a sea, this, like a big ocean, and one ship was sailing across and there was a man on the bow of the ship, and I started jumping up and down and screaming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. He said, why did I do that? I'm a Muslim. Well, how did I know it was Jesus? Why did I say Jesus is coming? And he said, and all of a sudden the ship turned course, and it started coming right at my nose. And Jesus got in the bow of the ship. He reached as far as he could, and he said, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. He said, do you think that was a legitimate vision? Well, I still didn't believe this guy. <laughs> I said, what do you call the do? He said, me and my wife and my family, we're going to be missionaries to Afghanistan because that's a needy country. And he says, and God has called us to help bring the evangelical church, all the churches together in unity, according to Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. <laughs> How often do you meet a guy like that? And so I, still I didn't know. I called, just out of fun, I called... I said, what university did you go to? He says, I went to the uh, Islamic University in Kabul, Afghanistan. So I, call, I got a phone number and I called the place. It was a joke, you know. It was a joke. I had the speakerphone on in my office and I said, hello. And somebody answered the phone. The guy spoke English. He said, I'm Professor so-and-so. I said, well, I'm, I'm interested in knowing if you know this. His name is Barak, Barakatulo. He's from Tajikistan. Uh, do you remember him as a student? And he goes... Oh, yes, he is a Christian. <laughs> and then there was a long pause. I go, oh, here we go. And he said, he is a true follower of Jesus Christ. He's respected by all the Muslims here in the university, in the Islamic Studies Department. And so when he came to our school, he was too smart for us, you know. We had to send him off. We got him a Ph.D. at Cambridge for free. And now he's graduating and he's going to go to Afghanistan with his wife. God only knows how long he'll be there or how long they'll stay alive. But is he worth it? Is that an investment that's worthwhile? Think about what, what a missions dollar can do about Bibles, fire Bibles. You've heard of them, right? And how, what they do. And so we're doing this in the country of Georgia now. We're reaching unreached people. Uh, I had a video, but I don't have time to share it. But uh, <laughs> it's too late for the video. But nevertheless, maybe we can share when the offering is on. When we do the offering, we'll show the video, because I wanted to show you what a church in Georgia is like. Because when I went to Georgia just five years ago, there were only a few churches. Now we have 130 churches. They're all new churches. They're all on fire for God. Ninety percent of the churches, the people in the churches, are under the age of 35. And there's a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They say almost 100% of the people have been baptized in the Holy Spirit in the churches because they have a huge emphasis on it. And so we're doing a Bible. Georgia's never had a Bible. We're doing the Jack Hayford Bible, though, the Spirit-filled study Bible. And I remember the first time we had the Bible done in Russian, 
And they brought one to me in Ukraine because I was the dean of the seminary. And they said, Brother Bob, you have to give out the first fire Bible to one of the students, whoever the most worthy student is. I said, well, how am I supposed to do that? You know, here I'm a guy from the UP, and I'm going to give somebody, there's a bunch of guys here who spent time in prison, people who are world changers. I'm going to have to determine who the best person is. I didn't have a clue. And so I said to the students, who should I give it to? And they gave me a name that I would have never imagined. A guy named Anatoly Klonovsky, about six foot four. The only student in the, in the uh, school who was older than me. And it's, a, it's an age respect culture, you know. And he, this guy always has a smile on his face, but he walks kind of like this, you know. He has this big limp like Grandpa McCoy. Anybody remember him? And I, I said, Anatoly, what happened to your leg? He said, well, when I was in prison in Lviv in Ukraine, he said the, the guards wanted to have some fun with me, so they put my leg on a concrete slab. And the biggest guard, he took one of these mauls like a sledgehammer, and he hit me right square as hard as he could on the kneecap. Shattered everything in my knee. And he says, they tried to get everything straightened out, but he says, I still got bone chips and all kinds of stuff. I said, that must hurt. He said, and he's smiling. He goes, no, I call it my present from Lviv. And it reminds me that I suffered for Jesus, and I'm happy to have it. <laughs> See, that stuff isn't on our radar screen, is it? This guy was a walking Bible. And the students told me that Anatoly's been a pastor for 25 years. And the first 10 years he was a pastor, he never even had a Bible. People used to give him pages of Bibles and other things like that. And then he said, they said, uh, and then after that, he only had a, like a plain Jane Bible, we call it, you know, from the pew. No notes, nothing. And this guy was a walking Bible. I couldn't figure out how he did it. How could this guy memorize the Bible? I said, the Holy Spirit helped him. And so and I said, okay, give it to him. And so... I, you have to remember something. In Russian culture, the greatest honor that an older man can give to a younger man is to kiss you right on the lips. A lot of times they lick their lips like this first. And then you see their teeth. And sometimes it's gray because they don't brush very often. Or it could be silver, it could be gold. How many of you have seen the gold teeth before? And so, I never did this. See, I'm a homophobic guy from Upper Michigan. So, <laughs> I've always done the extended arm, the locked elbow. One Russian brother, about 80 years old, says, I really want to kiss you, Brother Bob. And I says, go ahead and try. <laughs> Be my guest. Give it a whirl. Come on. I never let him get close. But here I give Anatoly this Bible. And all of a sudden, he grabs it, he holds it, he starts crying like a baby. i never seen this. He's sobbing. He's looking at this Bible like it's the greatest treasure in the world. And he's just sobbing like a baby. And I look at the students like, man, I didn't expect this. What do I do now? And... Uh, while, while I had my back turned, Anatoly stuck up behind me and he put a headlock on me. <laughs> and he had me like this and I couldn't move. And he kissed me. Here, let me show you how he did it. Right on the lips. He's resistant to my overtures. <laughs> but Anatoly licked his lips and planted one on me and he had me and I couldn't move. And in the military, I was taught the first thing is you hit the ground, you know, so you can shoot the hostage taker, right? I tried to fall down. I couldn't fall down. This guy had me. And he had me for so long, I don't know how long he had me. But I thought so many things while he was kissing me. And I was thinking, I wonder how, I wonder if, how, when did he brush his teeth last time, you know? And then I thought, and then I thought this. I said, I wonder if he ever kissed his wife like this before. Surely he must have kissed his wife like this. But they say when you have near-death experiences, you know, like... Like when you jump out of a plane and your chute doesn't open, you know, it's, uh, you think it's like a, like a minute and it's only 10 seconds, you know. 
And he finally let me go, and I said, thank you very much. But Anatoly now travels the world even more than I do, teaching in Russian-speaking places. He teaches the Bible everywhere around the world. He's got his fire Bible. Can somebody help him to get a fire Bible? You feel good about that? But I want to tell just one more story, then Pastor Mark's going to come up, and he's going to talk about faith promises. I wanted to tell you my own story from the faith promises. I was in the military when uh, I was first confronted with this. I was 19 years old. I was making 400 bucks a month in the military. How much do you make now? More than that? No. <laughs> it's still the same. And he says, Bob, I know you tithe. I know you give you $40 a month to the church, but I want to challenge you to give a faith promise to missions. Have you ever done that? I said, no, I grew up Catholic. We never had anything like this. The priest never gave out the faith promise cards in the Catholic church. Not that I remember anyway. How many of you remember that in the Catholic church? Never gave out the f- but I, he said, can you think about giving something? I said, oh, they make 400 bucks a month. He says, you don't need any money, though. You eat at the base. Come on, what do you need 400 bucks a month for? You know, your needs taken care of. He says, why don't you try $5 a month? So I did. And you know what? I still do these things. And I don't give $5 a month anymore, you know. But, but God's always taken care of me. But I want to share, because Georgia's become the center of the, of the gospel in that part of the world now, our, the freedom. People from all over the Muslim world are coming there. We have the Chechens coming for training. I only live 80 miles from Chechnya. That's been in the news. I can't go to Russia anymore. They'll throw me in prison. They already told me that. They kicked me out last time I went in and said, don't ever come back here again or you're in prison. And I'd like to go to prison because I could lose a lot of weight and learn the language better, but uh, I just don't know when I'm going to go out or how much weight I'm going to lose when I'm in there, you know. But uh, they're coming. We have the people from all those Muslim republics. We have Turkey, Azerbaijan, Central Asia. We have to the south, Iran. The Iranians are coming in droves for training because it's tough in their country. You know, those people are dying for their faith. But they are the most incredible people I've ever seen. They make me feel like I'm not a Christian. Ever been around people that make you feel like you're not a Christian because they're so holy? They're people of prayer, the joy of the Lord. The, they have the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so I said, you guys witness like this in Iran? They go, yeah, every day. I said, you can do that? They said, sure, as long as you don't mind getting killed or going to jail for it. You can share anybody you want, you know. And so we had a big missions conference with the Assemblies of God. And this one couple was there, and I said, how come you people are like this? How come you're so different than everybody else? They said, well, we've been taught that every day we are to share our faith in Jesus Christ. Every day we are to pray and to expect that God is going to bring people our way. They said we call it the theology of divine appointments. How many of you have heard about that? That God has people for us every day that he's going to bring our way. And we just have to be ready for it. That every day we're going to have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus. Maybe it's preaching, maybe it's a prayer, maybe it's just a word of encouragement, maybe it's, who knows what, opening a door for somebody. And they said, we've been married over five years and we've shared every single day of our life. And we've prayed with hundreds of people in Iran to accept Christ. And so I had these missionaries here. I said, tell us a story. Tell us how this thing works. They said, last time we were in Georgia... Our conference finished. We drove through Georgia, through Armenia, into Iran. It's only an eight-hour drive, but you get across the borders. They said, usually we talk to people at the border, but that didn't happen. We got home late at night. The husband said, I was so tired. I just threw myself in the bed. I wanted to sleep. He said, and then my wife started pestering me, you know. She says, get up. We haven't had our divine appointment yet today. And he goes, oh, you go do the divine appointment. I'm going to stay here and sleep. She goes, no, you're not. We're going to the store. I need to buy some stuff. You get up. I'm going to go inside. You're going to take care of the divine appointment. 
So he says, we get up, we get to the store, it's about 11.30 at night. She goes in and he says, I'm looking at these guys. There's five guys up against the wall about 15, 20 feet away from me. Four of them are dressed normally. The fifth guy is in all white, white robe, white turban, big bushy gray beard, and a, fr- a frown on his face. He's just glaring at everybody. Can you picture this guy? He's just looking at everybody, and I said, Lord, who should I share with? Well, who do you think God's going to tell him to share with? You know who he's going to share with. Thanks, Lord. That's what I wanted. Can it be one of the normal guys? So he said, I went up to this man. I said, sir, God told me to come and share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. He said, the guy got up, got about two inches from my face, and started screaming at me. His face was beet red. And he says, he says, well, where you been? I've been waiting out here all day for you. What took you so long? Last night an angel came to me in a dream and said I was to stand in this place, this exact place, and someone would tell me about Jesus Christ. And I've been standing out here all day. It's 11.30 at night. I didn't think you were coming. What's the matter with you? And the guy's like... (laughs) So he shared Jesus. The man accepted the Lord. So my question to you is, can God bring people in your life every day? Does he bring people every day? Even here? Port Washington, Grafton, I don't care where you live. Does God really do that kind of stuff? Is he big enough to do that? And this guy, after he finished, he says, but I know you guys don't believe me. You're Americans. You don't believe me. He says, you know, you think this is just for Iranians, right? You don't believe me. He says, because first of all, you have to believe that God is going to send people your way. How many of you believe that God does that? And then secondly, you have to be spiritually aware to know when when those people come and when the times come and when, when it's time to act. That's the second thing. And then third, you've got to be obedient and do what God tells you to do. And he may have you do some crazy stuff. How many of you guys like to, how many of you like to do crazy stuff? <laughs> crazy is as crazy does, as Forrest Gump said. No. I love to do crazy stuff, but God may call you to do this. But he wants to use you. God wants to save this area. God wants to save Wisconsin. You know, the Russians, they've been praying. And you know what? God showed them where this next great revival is. You know where it is? You know where they said they said, they told me this four years ago, they said, in this big church in Russia, they said, God showed us on a map of America where the next great revival will take place. It's going to be in America. I had no idea. I said, where? They said, we don't know American geography. And I said, Americans don't know American geography. <laughs> I said, I'll come with a map of America. I'll put it up. You put your hand on it. Can you do that? They said, yeah. And they put their hand They all put their hand in the same area, and I'm just looking at it. They said, where's our hands? I said, don't ask. They said, what's the name of the place? I said, well, it's predominantly two states, one called Wisconsin and one called Minnesota, the whole state of Wisconsin. And they said, what's it like there? I said, don't ask. I said, it's like Russia. It's cold and desolate. snows every Sunday. And I said, you know, in Wisconsin, in Minnesota, these places, they call them the frozen chosen, the Christians. That's what they call them, you know. Christians, they call the frozen chosen. Wisconsin has always been called the evangelist graveyard. How many of you know that? Because that's where the, evan- where the message dies. And when I said it's the evangelist graveyard, this old lady said, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. What do you mean, praise the Lord? She says, I've been studying revivals. And it seems like God sends revivals to places that never had them before or where nobody thought it would happen. 
And I thought about it. I used to teach church history at North Central. So I thought of the Great Awakening, Finney's Revival in upstate New York, the, even, the, even the Azusa Street Revival, the Welsh Revival. Anybody ever read about the Welsh Revival? Which was among the miners in Wales. So what happened was, in the country of Wales, the miners, they were the lowest form of society. They were the scum. They were the ignorant people, the filthy mouth people. The Lord saved hundreds of thousands of them. You know what happened there? When God saved the Welsh miners, they actually had to close the mines down to retrain the animals because the mules and the horses no longer understood the miners. They no longer used profanity, so they had to retrain the animals. Now that's a revival. So do you want a revival here? Do you really want a revival here? Yeah, but your life's going to change. You're going to have to give stuff up. You're going to have to give more money. You're going to have to volunteer more for the church. You're going to have to give up some TV programs or some activities. You're going to have to do stuff like that. Is that that okay? You don't have any objections to that? So I just want to encourage you. Can I pray for you? That the Lord will give us a vision for the world, for our family first, for our community, for our state, for our country. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you today that it's a beautiful sunny day and it's not snowing. We want to thank you for that first. It's nice to not have to drive in the snow to come and worship you. So thanks, Lord. It's a little thing. But now, Lord, as we talk about missions and our participation in missions, Lord, help us each to understand that you have called us for an incredible purpose at this most critical time in history. Lord, speak to my brothers and sisters about being faithful to you and serving you. And, Lord, of course, it starts with being faithful and just tithing and supporting our church. Lord, let anyone here who's having trouble with that or difficulty, either understanding or giving, maybe they're just having financial problems. Lord, bless them. Just in an over and abundant way, Lord, bless them with resources and finances. Help them, Lord, to step out in faith. Help to make it a little easier for them to do it. And, Lord, as we talk about reaching our world, Lord, give us a heart to see our families saved, to see our schools changed, to, see, to be a light in our community, to see our state and our country come back, the churches, to come back to Jesus Christ and to do the things we did at first. Lord, use each one here, speak to each one here, and bless them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you.